when you're an employee, you have options that vests and you want to become a shareholder. You exercise your options, you become a shareholder. And then there's this tax bill coming because of that you have realized your share, not any money, but it's shares. And then you are being handed a tax bill that you would need to pay and you don't have any money to kind of cover that. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Christopher Herheim. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Optio and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Christopher. Hello, Josef. Good to see you. Good to see you. Great to have you here. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Uh, the weather is nice. Uh, it's been a good week, so definitely good. Yeah. Amazing to hear. And let's kick it off. First thing first. Who is Christopher? Please help me get the context of how you look at yourself. Oh, that's a that's a big and interesting question. I'd say I like to call me a dad first. Actually, I have two kids, uh, a four and a seven year old uh, boy that I appreciate spending time with. I love wine. I spend a lot of time on reading about wine, and nowadays not so much drinking about uh, drinking it, but but the theoretical part. I love running. I think that's nice. I sleep too little. That's the thing I'm working on. And I'm fanatic about the equity incentives. So that's a, a small niche uh, and it's not so many that are fanatic about it, but but I, I really love it, yeah. Quite, quite a short and structured view, <laughs> view of how, how you look at yourself. Uh, and okay, then here with your fanatic interest, how, how, did you, how did you end up there? Yeah, that's a good question as well. But I, I think it's, it's as many other things. You kind of you can have tons of plans on what you want to do in life, and it ends up the opposite way or doing something else. So, so for me, it started a bit like the the equity incentive part started when a bit ahead of school or not ahead of school, but during school time, I was picked up by a founder in another startup, super charismatic guy, great guy, and I joined that company, and they built a startup on equity incentives and the accounting part of that. I loved it a lot. I got engaged in it. The reason why I loved it was because of it's the mix of what motivates people, the, the kind of psychology part of it. And I also like the finance part of it. So, so the mix of being able to both uh, calculate it and trying to understand emotions and how it motivates people, in my mind, was awesome. Uh, and to kind of to elaborate a bit more, how I ended up there was that uh, that company grew well. We were acquired in 2015. And then for me, the fun stopped in that company. So I left, okay. but I was still a fanatic about the, the subject. So a couple of years later, we founded Optio. So yeah, uh, and still still in love with the subject. And you uh, just helped me with the segue into the next question. <laughs> uh, what does your company Optio do? Please do the elevator pitch. Yeah, good. So what we do, we kind of start a bit like high level, we make life simpler for both administrators and participants in equity programs. And what that means, it's like we, we kind of, 
we tackle the, the, the difficulties in like, okay, I don't have enough know-how to launch a program. I think it's hard to launch a program because of there's so many tax rules. There's so many laws. There's so many, I don't know where to start. So that's one part of it. And the other part is participants that get, let's say, stock options. They don't understand it. So you get an option program. People answer you kind of answer kind of, yes, I have some sort of option program and it's in the drawer. I signed it, but I don't know the value of it. I don't know what it will come and so on. And both those things we, we try to kind of make into, into something that works really well. Yeah. And if we go into the why, why of you and your co-founders started Optio then, uh, why? Why? Yeah, no. It was a bit back to 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 the, the startup that we had, or I, I wasn't one of the founders, but I was early in when that company was sold in 2015, and I left a year after. Then I started to work a bit as an independent consultant, where a few of my earlier clients asked about like what sort of incentive programs should we use? What's the difference between having an option program and a share purchase program? The cons and pros in our case, I helped. I'd say 10 to 15 clients launched these programs, publicly listed companies. So it was big, big companies in a period of time. And then one of the CFOs in, in, in one of those companies, it was an original listed company, were giving me a bit of a, a dump of, of his feelings about the company that I used to work with. Nothing wrong about them, but, but it didn't really match his needs. So we, we, based on that, it gave us a bit of encouragement to test the hypothesis of what if we start from scratch with old know-how and old contact network and new code. And that was quite an awesome feeling. And then we, we started up to in 2018. Yeah. Amazing that, 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 that like mold is so, yeah, that is perfect. And I, and I think, I think that that is like in my mind, in terms of like starting a company, I know it's often many reasons off. When you have that old know-how and you've kind of been a part of something before and you could just kind of tear it apart in a way, <laughs> start off uh, with clean sheets. It's a, it's a really nice uh, starting point. And I, I hope I'd be there once, once again later as well. Yeah. And now we have arrived to the part I call five quick ones. Yep. And you, you have listened to a couple of episodes, so you know what's coming and you know you need to be quick now. Yep. I will throw up a word and the first, you don't need to say just one word answer, but the first sentence, boom, shoot. Okay. Yep. Here we go. Equity compensation. Sharing the upside with those that contributes creating it, I'd say. Your biggest role model. A guy called Tom Torkagen, he worked with us in the sports shop and employed me and he was so good at telling stories and so good at sales. Something that's keeping you awake during the night. Ooh, my kids. Your happy place. When I'm running, uh, ideally in the mountains or when I'm traveling. And the last thing, you're scouting for 2024. Still a tough year. Need to make sure we know everything that we do works. Okay. Uh, so from your answers here, I want to quickly say about Tom first. Uh, you say his ability to sell and talk stories. Can you elaborate a bit more about what was it that was really like amazing with the selling and story part? Yeah, I think, okay, he, he worked in the sports shop. He started the sports shop. This was a small family-owned business, but I remember so well, and I think I've, I've been using so much of his uh, tips and tricks since then, but it, it comes about like, let's say someone stands there with a pair of skis. Um, instead of going and say, 
you need some help? Can I help you with something? He was so good at like talking about the conditions up in the slopes, saying something about like, what if we go there? Have you been there? What sort of wax do you use there? And that way of call it like advising and friendly setup in sales has been for me like a, a guiding guiding principle since then. Because obviously when you start a company, I also did a lot of the sales in the start. And then it was always like, instead of talking about that we were an equity administrator setup, it's, it's about like, would you like to know a bit about what everyone else is doing, what works and what not? Even though that's not what we sold because we were not really a consultancy company or a data provider or something. But then people want to listen to that. And then you, you kind of come into a way where, where it's, yeah, you, you build a relationship and then the consequence can be a sale. But you really want to help. You really want to understand how's the with ski conditions up there how's the fishing conditions at that water? And then you would end up like building long-term relationships. Nice. And uh, the second thing from answers here was the scouting part for next year. Not so optimistic. No, because I think I think I can be optimistic in terms of a few things, but I think it's very important where we are now that if you if you kind of uh, in a company in a B two B sales think that everything will be better when it comes to after Easter and then the market will resume and and, and so I, I don't really believe in that unfortunately. So I think it's more important to make a good plan of how things can be with the existing tough environment and then rather look at it as a surprise. And that doesn't mean that I'm not optimistic on the behalf of Optio, because I think we're doing a lot of right things. But I think it's important to focus on how can we improve all the steps and everything that we do. And then the macro just needs to be what it is. And you need kind of runway enough. You need time enough on your own in a way. And I think uh, it's easy to kind of make some sort of a resting pillow in that things will resume a bit faster than it does. Yeah. Yeah, good. We've put period here for the five quick ones. And uh, we are actually now about to be joined by an, uh, by an external person. And today we are, uh, uh, my co-founder, Hampus Passion, is tuning in. And this is uh, his question to you. Hi, Christopher. I was wondering, uh, when it comes to business, what's the biggest mistakes you've made? Yeah, that's a very good question and often a bit hard to answer. But I think, I think it's... When you feel that something is not going in the right direction, uh, that it's not really working, my biggest mistake has been that I haven't been fast enough at reacting on those feelings in a way. I think it's very easy to to kind of look a bit away from the things that are not right in your business and focus on other things instead of doing something with it. So to be precise in terms of what that can be or have been in my case, a developer environment that we used and did not really work and spent too long time on cutting it out and changing. We should have done it a lot earlier because we knew it, but we kind of just didn't react on it. And it can also be an employee. If there's an employee or an important role that doesn't really work. My experience is that I've a few times been too slow on doing anything with it. And in hindsight, you should have done it earlier. Yeah. And I hear this so uh, often. And would you say, no, First of all, Hampus, thank you for the question. And okay, now when I elaborate, do you, would you say that for you, you can only talk for you? Is it that you don't feel that these feelings are urgent or a must right now? Or is it something else that is uh, spooky in the corner? I think it's often that, that people, or me in this case, is too 
One thing is like you you are a bit conflict shy, maybe. Yeah. And sometimes it's also a bit that you, you, you seek towards joy. You seek towards the places that things are going well. So you spend time on the things that, that are okay and that are okay. Uh, while, while the things that are not really going so well, you just let it yeah, roll on in, in the negative way. So I think it's like, for me, if I could go back, I would have been and knew what I know now. I would have been better at re- realizing those feelings faster and prioritized those faster than what I've done historically and in, in, in a few cases. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, now it's time for you. It's time for a topic of your choice, Christopher. And this means that basically I will sip it now for several minutes. And the only rule here is that you need to talk about something that you are very nerd about and feel passion for. So the floor is yours. Yeah. I think in my mind, one of the things that I am a bit passionate about or a lot or very passionate about and also a bit angry about is is how many countries are doing taxation can be equity incentives shares or whatever and this kind of goes out to all founders or everyone that owns shares or are employees in in companies that have received options i think generally in 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 pretty much all countries there's mechanisms so that when you have created something when you've been a part when you're an employee you have options that vests and you want to become a shareholder you exercise your options you become a shareholder and then there's this tax bill coming because of that you have realized your share not any money but it's shares and then you are being handed a tax bill that you would need to pay and you don't have any money to kind of cover that I realize, of course, that there are some tax beneficial plans in different countries, but those are generally, again, not really rich enough or big enough because it kind of, it can limit on like 50 employees or 100 employees or so. And that does not really help in the bigger sense because there are so many people that I talk to that have been a part of creating something so nice, so many work uh, places, so much tax paying on income. And then they get into a situation where they just want to become shareholders and they kind of pay their strike price and they get their shares on board. And they have to potentially loan money on their house, borrow from aunts and uncles and whatever to do that. And in many cases as well, the share price drops and it's super relevant nowadays because of that, there's a lot of share prices that have dropped. Yeah. Then you've paid uh, an income tax element on something that was, let's say 1,000 and you paid 1,000 and then now it's worth 200, right? And you don't get that back. So in my mind, I think Germany is doing a lot of great stuff right uh, nowadays where they've really, really made a rich exemption plan for for startups and growth companies, which isn't like a, a, a needle or, or a, the eye of a needle to kind of get through. It's, I think more com- countries needs to look into how can we not try to tax to death companies early because that will also benefit everyone in the long run because i'm fine with paying tax when i sell some shares and earn some money but not when i sit with a share which is not liquid and not possible to sell then it's quite painful actually so i think that's that's like it's also yeah of course an early topic but but i i really mean that that for growth to happen it needs to be not you don't you shouldn't be, be be punished to start in the start uh, and to grow. You shouldn't be punished to to found a company. 
I think that's very wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, very interesting topic. And this is yeah, this is the first time I ever hear this topic as a topic of choice in my uh, podcast. So, uh, and I love new angles. And so thank you for your passion and sharing this. And if you, yeah, you said, look at Germany. And if, if we should like, don't be too boring now, but, uh, sorry, don't be too niche because uh, the average listener that aren't expert in this area. But in my last podcast, uh, Business Pod, then when it was, I actually had, the two people who are now one is prime minister in Sweden and the other is opposite leader in Sweden. So I have in my network people around the decision makers, if you say so, at least in Sweden, some concrete steps to start. Yeah, I think like non super simple. Yeah, super simple. I think that non listed companies, if you earn money or if you earn shares, you should not be taxed before you earn money. And then this can be a lot higher. So like, let's say that you're 1000 employees and, and above, then I understand then there's some liquidity and some investors to pick up some shares. So you can earn money to pay your taxes, but just make sure that in non-liquid shares don't send big tax bills. And there's a lot of details more into this, but I won't dig that deep. Yeah. Good, good. P- perfect level to, to keep it like, thank you, Christopher. And uh, we move on to yeah one of my favorite topics in the whole world, or at least in the business context. I would say in the world, and not just business context. Go to market. And here, I want to understand your, according to you, the most critical steps regarding building a good go to market strategy, according yeah. to you. Yeah. For Opio, we have a B2B approach we have an average uh, client size at about 20,000 euros ish so for us it's very important to use call it more enterprise like sales we do marketing as well but it's SDRs that are doing booking of meetings yeah. and then account executives that follows it up so for us what we focus a lot on now and haven't done so much in the in the past has been to keep up the activity in meeting booking because it's it was so easy for us when we got a few big deals in the pipe it stopped with the activity and then you got this super down in in um in pipe for quite a long period so for us the most important part is activity in the first stage now and then of course always be super detailed on listening into sales calls listening into meetings and do good coaching to people that are less experienced so that you increase your conversion rates in all the steps after. But I'd say number one for us now is keeping up the activity because, yeah. Okay, so classic, B, uh, classic B2B uh, sales motion, SDRs, the account executives handing over. You said that uh, the first steps activity was the most critical and for somebody that's not super down to sales. What are the most important activity then, according to you? Is the number of calls? Is it the number of yeah, mails? What is the most tri- critical there? For us, we've gone a bit back to basic now with calls, because I think that in mail or LinkedIn uh, emails and so, we see that we struggle a bit with getting conversion rates, which is worthwhile on it. But we see that calls for us is a lot more 
beneficial and we get a lot of more qualified meetings uh, through doing that right now. We do a bit of everything, but but for us, I would say that's number one. So the end game here, like if, if we should really narrow it down, the most critical first step is the number of calls and the most relevant result is how many qualified meetings you have. Correct. Correct. So let's say we are B2B and we should do, we should do like Christopher said, we, we should have SDRs or me, the CEO, maybe should be the account executive, et cetera, to SDRs. But what, what, what do we do? We have this plan. We should like put something up the yep. next step then. Yeah. No, I think for us, it's very important. Like it, it is easy for us to be very wide in our messaging because we can say we want to help everyone with equity compensation and make it super simple for everyone. If you're two employees or if you're 200 employees in your company, we can actually solve it for every one of uh, those companies. But that's not really a good uh, messaging. So what we do now in the prospecting, we try to find out of course, a number of employees, ideally for us, uh, you are uh, above a certain threshold. And also for us, we do some research. If you have equity incentive programs from, uh, from before, then you will end up in being a qualified lead for us. And that's what we try to get the, the meetings with. Uh, so that, that, I'd say that that's number one in it. And we also do the same in our marketing. We don't necessarily sell so much online, but we do more like uh, targeted marketing to, to important accounts for us. And that's a bit how we work in addition to content where we educate and that also creates inbounds. But yeah, precise calls to relevant prospects, marketing on awareness in terms of yes. like know-how and sharing and content. And then we have direct marketing to, to key potential uh, accounts, prospects uh, to kind of uh, make it a bit warm before the call comes. Yeah. Exactly what I'm doing here with my podcast. Keep people warm. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And you, you open it, inbound marketing, etc. What's the thing or the channel that right now generates the most uh, inbound leads for you? Right now, that is actually these review pages. What do you say? The review pages. Yeah. So like you have G2, you have Captero, you have View. We don't have a lot of, uh, of ratings there yet because it's very new for us, but we've seen very fast that that has created quite a lot of uh, attention. And, and the reason why for us, I think, is we have internationally big competitors and they look at them potentially. And then they also want to benchmark with an alternative. And then they see small optio with something which people are quite happy with. And then they at least give us a chance. And again, if we first get a chance, we have a very good track record that we actually get there. So we, we will speak in a bit. And this is super interesting. Uh, first thing, I'm now uh, please uh, give the gossip here. Which review page, according to you, has generated most? Uh, if you need to choose one. I would say Captera. Captera, okay. Uh, Captera. And, and then we uh, focus on Captera. Okay, so you said Captera, you have a big international, big competitors, people search in that field. There are companies from the, the like Nordics or Northern Europe, like, okay, they are big, but I don't want big American enterprise. Oh, they are, they have good reviews. They are maybe smaller, but they are from Norway, etc. Is this maybe how it tend to go? Yeah, I think that is how it tends to go. And it's also a bit like our competitors may, uh, tend to be big banks that owns and so. And, and the one thing is like the presence. Another thing is like being a software driven, more solution oriented. But I think it's both. It's it's also local presence. And and, and to kind of be, be, be precise on it, again, not being too nerdy, but like there are instrument types 
in yeah. example Sweden, which is like tidningsoptioner or, or warrants that others do not have or cover. So that's also like so so in the Swedish market, we would be better than the others. That's as simple as that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I, I've heard more and more reviews p- p- climbing up now. In, in the, super interesting. Uh, and uh, now uh, talking some outreach, except go to market. I love talk about outreach uh, nowadays for super obvious reason because VAM has done a pivot. So we are now building an outreach tool, VAM outreach. So I, I want to collect data points also from you, Christopher. Yeah. Uh, what's your preferred way of being contacted in a modern bias journey for B2B? <laughs> Interesting question. I think that is hard. It's really, really hard because it's it's so much. But I actually noted down yesterday, and I did not know that I should get this question then, but I noted down a cold call that someone did to me, which I found, again, for people that do cold calls all the time, this may be old news, but it was someone that was extremely precise. It, it was a call, so I answered it. Of course, it's important that it's not from some country and the number needs to be right and so, so I kind of don't look at it as spam. But I answered it, and the, and the first thing the and, person and, said, and he, hold that for pause. Yeah. Uh, when you say which countries are like okay, I I pick which countries are uh, maybe I should pick up for you. Yeah, uh, for me, it, it's a bit related to where we do business. Right? Okay, because then I can't I can't really uh, not take a phone call now from UK because we're doing stuff there. I can't do it in in in, in Sweden as well. So for me, this was UK. Uh, okay, the, uh, yeah. U- UK or like the Nordics? Yeah, I would okay. say so. I would say so. And definitely not like from India or Angola or, or not because of the countries, but it's it's too much spam from those countries, yeah. so you don't do that. And the way, what kind of caught my attention a bit on it was that he was so open about that it was a, a, a sales call. So, because there's so many that tries to ask me questions about, okay, am I talking to this person that is this responsibility? Yeah. And it's like, already there, you're done, right? So, so, so he was like, I'm going to be frank. This is a sales call. Can I get 20 seconds? And then I was like, oh, yeah. Fresh approach. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I was like, okay, I'll give you those 20 seconds. And obviously he used more than 20 seconds. I did not like uh, the offering. So I did not end up buy or follow up. But I noted it down that I found that approach really nice. And also after I said, thank you, but no, thank you. And I also gave him some feedback that I liked the way he approached me. He also said like, thank you for giving me 20 seconds or it was actually a bit more. So have a great day. So it was very like, no fuss, no trying to hide because you anyway, you understand what it is, right? So I like that approach and I gave that to our, to our, um, yeah. And and then they were like, they, they, they knew about it, but, but anyway, for me, that was really refreshing. And I, and when when I call, I I don't ask for twenty seconds because I know it will never be twenty seconds. I always ask for two minutes, yeah, two or three minutes because but, but, I know. And and I, and I agree, but I in my mind when I people ask me for two, for two minutes, I may feel that I don't have time for it, and then I yeah. say no. So so this is hard. I, of yeah, but, course. but I but I never I never do like super cold calls. I always do semi, and then then people can justify one yeah. two minutes. I agree. I agree. Oh, but it's, it's interesting. I think it's interesting because I think like emails and, and emails and LinkedIn or, or LinkedIn emails. And so now for me, it's, you don't read it anymore. Unfortunately, I wish I had time to do it, but, uh, but I, I don't, it's more like an auto spam thing. 
So, so I I was on what what you say I was edge case because you are here. So obviously I I succeeded with my outreach. Yeah, but, but, but your your approach was really well because you had something relevant, right? So I was skimming through and it was a name and it was something that I, I kind of because uh, yeah, it yes, wasn't code. You interacted with the previous guest. We can Tina Carlson shout out to her, listen to her episode, uh, and then oh, Christopher, he seems like cool. And then I reached out. Yeah, yeah. So that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> this means that we are entering the roundup, you know. So we only have a few questions left, and the first thing here is just me. Uh, I want book tips. What What's your favorite books? One that most likely most have read already, but still I need to mention it because it it is my favorite, and that's High Growth Handbook from Ella Jill. I think that's so hands-on and full of inspiration and motivation and things that is for me. I haven't read it. I haven't. What? What? Who was the writer? Elad Gil. Elad Gil. Yeah, I don't know that. Okay, I've I've heard. Yeah, that I heard. But it's really nice, uh, and it has a lot of interviews from other people, and there's some super precise templates, and it really kind of gives you, yeah, motivation and 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 it's so not so much fluff, right? And another one in a totally different uh, direction. It's a book called Think Like a Monk. I kind of like that as well because it's like every now and then you are a bit in this hamster wheel. And it kind of the story is about a guy that has also been working. He's not necessarily a monk, or he's not a monk, but he yeah, goes into that and really adapts that mindset to be able to focus and relax and do other things. And I think uh, most of us can think a bit more like a monk every now and then. Yeah. And who was the writer to that book? Jeff Shetty is the name of that author. Yes. And <laughs> nice that you mentioned a monk because the question now is about life mottos. Can you share one of your uh, favorite life mottos? Uh, Peter Pan. It's not a motto, but I've always been a fan of thinking that you should never grow up. And Peter Pan has this setup that he ne- never grows up. What I mean with that is that it's important to kind of, even though things are serious and there's a lot of stuff to do, to kind of ensure that you have fun with things. And that is easy to forget. And Peter Pan and his motto, in a way, uh, reminds me a bit of that every now and then. Great. The very last question. And now you are talking to yourself, the younger self. If you would give your younger self the top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know like five, 10, 15 years ago, what would you tell yourself? I would say try to be a bit less impulsive. So what I mean with that is thinking a bit fast about what you want to achieve and what's the highest likelihood of achieving it. And that I mean with communication. Let's say you talk to people, you talk to employees, you want to motivate people, you feel that someone's doing not necessarily the right the right thing. And you want to affect that behavior or do things differently, not just write it out the way it immediately kind of hits you, not answer things too fast. Just give yourself some time. Think a bit through why are you actually saying what you're saying and how can you phrase it in order to get what you want out of it that doesn't mean to be like kind of uh, a cynic or anything but it's i think it's very easy to to be too impulsive in some situations especially if you're if you're a leader of a company it's very important to kind of 
uh, stress a bit down. And I have one other one that I've been reflecting a bit around lately. And I think it's easy now that the market is a bit tougher, that it's very easy to think that if one thing isn't necessarily working ideally, that and you hear something else or you have another alternative, then you think that we should have done it the other way around. And that's not necessarily true, right? Because you don't know how that will end up. Uh, end up. And I think too many, including me uh, in my earlier, was a bit like, okay, we tested it, it didn't work out. Oh, we should have done it like this. And that may also be wrong, or it may be even worse, or you should have done it a third way. So I think also it's like to think a bit when you're evaluating and, and things are not really going well, be open that there's many data points and there's many possibilities. We talked about it a bit earlier about this. You read a book and it sounds very, very, very promising and right. And then you pivot and you change. And <laughs> it's not necessarily like that. There's tons of alternatives and be a bit aware of that when you when you do yeah, selections or choices or, or yeah, everything. Yeah. Good. Thank you for that. And with these words, uh, we put Peter to the interview. And I now, before I say goodbye to you, Christopher, I turn the focus towards you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, if you got any sort of value here from uh, Christopher, don't be selfish. Please tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Christopher in B2B SaaS And thing number two, also just if you got value, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Christopher, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help me, but most importantly, the SaaS community to keep on learning. Thank you, Josef.